0: Right. Yeah. happy Mother's Day to our moms. And as I said before, man, my hope is this morning that you would just find great courage um, in knowing that the God of all things is with you and has, has created you and designed you in such an amazing way um, that you would draw your strength from, from him this morning to be a mom. Hey, as I said earlier, we're starting a brand new series today in the book of Acts. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out. Um, you're going to want a Bible this morning. So if you didn't bring a Bible, you left your Bible at home, maybe it's in the, in the car or wherever, um, there's a Bible underneath the seat you are sitting in. There's a blue Bible down there. Make sure you pull that out. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Acts chapter 1 in the blue Bible is on page 1006. Acts chapter 1, page 1006. And I'm excited about this series. Um, what we've done this year, um, if you've been around for a season, if you've been around for five, six months here, you know that in December we started uh, the Gospel of Luke. We went from the birth of Christ all the way to the death and resurrection of Christ. So from Christmas to uh, Good Friday and Easter, we went from the birth of Christ to the death and resurrection of Christ. And and today what we're going to do is we're going to begin kind of what comes after that. So Christ lived on earth after his resurrection for 40 days. And if you maybe you grew up in a church that um, recognized or kind of followed the church calendar. Church calendar is something that's been around for a very, very, very long period of time. And all over the world, all over the world, next Sunday, churches will be recognizing and celebrating what we call Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. Um, and this idea that, or the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit descended upon the, the, the first Christians, the early church. And next, next Sunday, we're actually going to be studying that piece of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 is when uh, this takes place. And so what we wanted to do this year is kind of follow along within this kind of traditional church calendar. And so we began in December with the birth of the cross all the way through the death and resurrection of the cross. And then kind of during Easter, so in the church calendar, Easter is not a day. It's a season, right? You have the season of Easter. and you have, So you have Easter, and then you have the 40 days after where Jesus was alive and walking around and seen by. First uh, Corinthians 15 says that over 500 people saw him alive. Paul says, man, listen, church in Corinth, you can go meet them. Most of them are still alive. You can, you can go talk to them, and you can hear their stories about how they saw him bleed out, and they saw him raised from the grave. And so the this, this season of Easter or Easter tide, as um, many traditional kind of churches Call it, and then after that comes Pentecost, and so that's where we are right now. We are entering the season uh, or the moment of Pentecost, and so then we're going to be following the book of Acts all summer long, uh, looking at the early church. Now, this work was also written by a guy named Luke, so Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but then he, then he wrote um, the, the, the book of Acts. And so, what we're going to do this morning. I'll talk more about Luke in a minute, but we're just going to read Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11 together. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And if you would, we believe here at Flourishing Grace that this is the inspired, inerrant word of God. That God, the God of all things, wrote every single letter on every single page. Yes, he did it through men. He did it through the pen Uh, held by in the hand of human beings, but God was the one who actually inspired every single letter and every single word. And so in, in reverence to the word of God, if you guys would stand with me, I'm gonna read for us from Acts 1. Acts 1, and I'm gonna read through verse 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up After he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. into Heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. This is the Word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Luke is the author of this work. Luke writes the the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, which is what we studied from December to uh, Easter. Luke also writes this work, and, and he says here in the opening lines in these opening verses. Oh, Theophilus. Theophilus is um, the attended audience. Luke writes this work for a guy named Theophilus. Now we know Luke um, is an educated man, Luke was a doctor, a physician. Um, he was a historian. He liked the facts. He liked the details. Um, none, none of the things in the Gospel of Luke were firsthand accounts. Luke goes back and he, he asks and he he interviews so many people getting all the facts and all the stories just perfectly in line, just as they had happened, so that he might record it perfectly. Some of the things in the book of Acts, he was firsthand, therefore. He was. He actually saw these things take place. Some of them he wasn't. And so, again, you, you have this person who's a, who is a... He's just, he's just an intelligent man, a doctor, historian, loves Jesus. He was a friend of Paul. He went on with, on uh, many of Paul's missionary journeys with Paul. Um, we don't believe that Luke was a Jew. Luke was most likely a Gentile, uh, which means that he was the only Gentile author um, in the entire Bible. He's the only one. He's the only Gentile author who, who writes a work, and he actually writes two works that were included in, in the Bible. Um, we don't believe that Theophilus is a Jew. Um, We don't know much about this guy, Theophilus. Um, There's very little uh, facts about him. But kind of from the way that Luke writes, Luke writes his first work, the Gospel of Luke, to Theophilus. And he says here in Acts, he says, listen, I, I I wrote you in my first work to show you all that Jesus began to do. We believe that Theophilus was most likely most likely a high-ranking Roman official. In the Gospel of Luke, when Luke writes to Theophilus, he says, Oh, a most excellent Theophilus. He gives him this, this kind of title of, of elevated praise. And it seems like he would be a highly educated a um, man who would enjoy the details of every ounce of the story, all the details of history. Luke wants him to know and to read um, a pretty heavy work, a pretty heavy historical work so that he might know all that Jesus began to do. And then now in um, Acts, Luke's going to go on. He says, here's all that Jesus continues to do. The story of Acts is, is kind of the first 30 years. It's a 30-year history of the early church. The, the work of Acts is written to Theophilus so that Theophilus might know, but also so that you and I might know that God's not done. It's written so that we might see that the mission of God will continue as the Holy Spirit powerfully works through individual lives to advance the gospel, build his kingdom, and expand the church. Let me say that again. It's written so that we might see That the mission of God will continue as the Holy Spirit powerfully works through individual lives to advance the gospel, build his kingdom, and expand the church. You see, the God of all things has a plan for all things. He always has. He always has. And in the gospel of Acts, what we see is that plan moving forward. Moving forward. From the very beginning of time, God has had a plan to restore what was broken, to restore things to a right order, to restore his broken relationship with humanity. Um, you see, in the, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve rebel against God, God says, man, I'm going to create this amazing place for you where you can do basically whatever you want to do. You can eat from any tree. You can do whatever you want. You're going to run around naked. It's amazing. Go for it. Just Have fun. But in order for you to show me the reverence and the respect and the honor that I am as your creator as God, this one singular tree, this one, this one's mine, don't touch it. And of course they do. Right? They touch it, and from that moment, um, the relationship between God and his creation was fractured and broken. The relationship between God and his, the crown jewel of his creation, humanity, was broken and, and fractured. And God, as a, being a perfect God, uh, places a punishment over humanity and over creation. We call this the curse. And ever since then, humanity has lived underneath this brokenness and underneath this curse, From generation to generation to generation to generation, we have all lived underneath the curse. You and me and every human before us and every human who will ever come after us have lived underneath this curse where we can no longer stand before God, rightly before him, because we are cursed. We are broken. We have rebelled against him. We no longer have have the purity of heart, the cleanness, We are sinful and we aren't broken. We are at odds with creation around us. We're forced to to work for everything. It's no longer freely given. We must must work the soil in order to feed ourselves. We can no longer get along with each other. We bicker and we fight and we argue and we war over ideas, whether that's in your uh, place of work or in your marriage or even on a global scale. All of it, every ounce of it, every ounce of brokenness, every tear that's ever been shed, every, every cry that's ever been cried out is a result of that curse at the dawn of humanity. But God has had a plan. God has had a plan ever since then, even before then, to restore all things. He's had a plan to, to bring things back into a right relationship with Himself to establish a kingdom here on earth which he will one day rule and reign over that kingdom. All of, the, all of the people, the Jews, the people of Israel, God's chosen people before Christ, they all look towards a moment when one would come, this Messiah, when the Messiah is the one that God is going to ascend and that Messiah is going to be the restorer. He's going to defeat the enemies of God. He's going to push back darkness. He's going to conquer sin and death. He's going to restore humanity to a right relationship with God. And he's going to restore creation to a right relationship with God. He's going to establish a kingdom on earth. And he's going to rule that kingdom forever. Forever. Jesus is that Messiah. He is that King. When Jesus shows up on the scene in his death, Jesus conquers sin and death. Jesus brings a cure for the curse. He restores humanity. He makes a way for humanity to be, to be restored um, with a right relationship with God. He says, I will bring the holiness. I will bring the cleansing. I will wash you in my blood. I will pay the penalty that's due to you, and, and I will extend to you my righteousness. I'll impute my righteousness onto you, and I'll take your brokenness and your sin, and I'll place it on me, and I'll go to the cross, and I'll bleed out for it. And and then he raises from the grave, conquering sin and death, and establishes a kingdom here on earth. The number one thing that Jesus talked about in his time here on earth, the number one thing by far and away, the thing that he talked about again and again and again and again and again, the kingdom of God. More than anything else, Jesus went around in this primary message. Everywhere he went, from city to city, from village to village, every synagogue, every temple, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It is in your time. It's in your generation. The kingdom of God is going to be established now. The kingdom of God is here now. You see, so many of us think that someday in the future, out there in the distance, um, we'll enter the kingdom of God. When we die and we go to heaven or when Jesus comes back for us, that's the kingdom of God. No, no, no. Jesus' primary message was the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is here now. It's going to be established now. And on the cross, Jesus establishes his kingdom and he raises from the grave as the victorious and reigning king. And the gospel or the book of Acts, the book of Acts, is the beginning stages of this kingdom. It is the birth of this kingdom, the formation of this kingdom. And what we see in the very beginning is that Luke says to Theophilus, he says, O oh, oh, Theophilus, let me tell you all that Jesus did. And he says it this way. He says that Jesus, um, in verse Three, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs appearing to him during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God again and again and again, more and more and more. He's telling them, this is what the kingdom of God is going to be like. This is how I've shaped it and molded it and created it to be. And then his disciples have a question. They say, okay, all right, so you've, You've died on the cross. You've conquered sin and grave. You've conquered sin and death. You've defeated the enemies of God. You've restored humanity's relationship. We can now draw near to God. And so they say this in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus looks back at them and says, Uh, You still don't get it, do you? For three years, for three years, he explained to them and shown them and demonstrated what this kingdom is going to look like and how they're going to get to be a part of establishing and expanding this kingdom. They say, "All right, so now is the time. Now is the time that you're gonna that you're gonna push back Rome, and Israel is gonna regain its power." Like in their mind, what they see and what they view is Israel is still going to be this kingdom, that 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 Israel is going to conquer the known world, and Jesus, as the Messiah, is going to reign as king over Israel. They say, "All right, so so now is it time to, to fight and to push back against Rome, and, and are you gonna establish it now?" And Jesus, is like, oh man. What have I been doing for the past three years of my life? Like, I, wh- why? why? Why don't you get it? And he says, listen, it is not for you to know. It's not for you to know. The time or the season when God is going to accomplish those things, it's just not for you to know. You don't need to know. And he says this, verse 8, But you, but you will receive power. And the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be, you will be, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. They say, All right, now are we going to build this kingdom? And Jesus says, It's on you now. Bye, and, and he's lifted up into the clouds. He ascends into heaven, and they stand there, and they're looking at, looking at him as he's going up, and the angels come up next to him. And they're like, men of Galilee, why, why do you stand looking into heaven? Don't you realize that the king who has just established this kingdom, the one that was, who has just kind of, kind of conquered everything that needed to be conquered in order for the kingdom to be, to be birthed, in order for the kingdom to be established, he's going to come back. He's going to come back to rule and reign over his kingdom. It's on you now. It's on you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and, and you will be his witnesses. He doesn't say you are going to do this, or you're going to do that, or you're going you're to create this thing and it's going to look like this. No, he says you are going to simply be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Jerusalem, right here in the city that we stand, in Judea, this land that you've grown up in, in Samaria, in part of the land that you don't really like to go, because Samaritans are those half-breeds, and I know you don't want to go there, but you're gonna go there. And to the end of the earth, this is hard. You gotta understand for these for these men of Galilee. All they know is this little, this little stretch of earth from Galilee to Jerusalem. That's been their entire lives. They're, these aren't well-traveled guys. They're fishermen and tax collectors. They, they, haven't, they, haven't, they haven't seen the earth. They haven't seen the globe. They haven't traveled. This is all they know. And Jesus says, you are going to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. You are going to proclaim this gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is going to be advanced through you. Beginning now, beginning now, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And beginning now, in this moment, The kingdom is going to be advanced through you. I'm going to advance the kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to receive power, and I'm going to advance my kingdom to the ends of the earth through you. And this is the story of Acts. This book, this work is Luke recording this piece, this verse 8. This is the thesis of the entire book. The rest of the book is 30 years of these men growing and expanding, Christ pushing through them, pressing through them to expand, to advance the kingdom to the end of the earth over the course of 30 years. And it's not some small, easy task. Christ doesn't ascend into the clouds and he's like, see you guys later, have fun. And it's just like this easy process. No. Oh, no, 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 no. The story of Acts is a story of opposition and advancement. Opposition and advance. Opposition and advance. Opposition and advance. We see this again and again and again and again and again. They are radically opposed and they pull back. And they say, Holy Spirit, we need boldness and we need power. Again and again and again, this is what you're going to see through the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit brings boldness and power into these men and women's lives, into these early Christians' lives, and the kingdom advances. They're opposed. They say, we need boldness and power. Holy Spirit, give us boldness and power, and the kingdom advances. They're opposed, and they say, we need boldness and power. Holy Spirit, give us boldness and power, and the kingdom advances. We see it instantly, immediately. In Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit descends upon them, day of Pentecost, right? But the people, the people you would think, as the Holy Spirit descends upon them, what happens is they begin to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of Christ. And people from all over have gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And they hear the gospel in their own native tongue, in their own native language. And you would think, you would think, this is amazing. This is the most incredible thing that's ever happened. Like, I can hear, how do these people know my language? Surely the Spirit of God is here with us. But no. Instead, they mock them and rail against them and say, look how drunk these guys are. I mean, it's the middle of the morning and they're hammered. Like, they're going crazy over here. And they pull back. And the Spirit the Spirit comes upon Peter and gives him boldness. And Peter stands up and he preaches this sermon. This unbelievable sermon, this unbelievably powerful sermon. And 3,000 people in one day become followers of Jesus. And the kingdom advances. In chapter 3... In chapter 3, uh, we see uh, Peter and John, they are going to the temple, and they're walking in the temple, and there's a, there's a lame man outside the temple, and he's begging for change. He's like, hey, guys, can you give me some, can you give me some coin? I need to buy some food and provide for myself, and um, there, there's a famous quote there by Peter. Peter says, listen, silver and gold we have not, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise, stand up and walk, and he stands up. And he runs to the temple, and he's dancing around. He's like, look, I'm healed. I can walk. This is amazing. Look how amazing this is. And you would think that the people in the temple would be like, the Spirit of God is with us. This is amazing. We've got to We got to figure out what's going on with this, with this gospel of the kingdom. We've got to become followers of Jesus. But they don't. They arrest Peter and John. They throw them in jail. And they have a trial. In the, in the next uh, chapter, they have a trial for them. And they say, Um, listen, we can't find anything really against you. There's no law against healing people. But the the Jewish officials say, listen, here's the deal. We'll let you go. We'll let you go. But not one more word about this kingdom of God. Not one more word about the gospel of Christ. Not one more word. Don't speak another word or we're going to kill you. What do we do now? What do we do? And so they pull all these followers of Jesus together and they pray that the Spirit would give them boldness and power. And Peter preaches another sermon that day. He goes right back to the temple, preaches another sermon that day, and 4,000 people become followers of Jesus. 4,000 people. And what happens is in the, in the midst of all this, there's this craziness that's going on, right? The church is growing, and now there's internal opposition that begins. In the next chapter, chapter 5, you have Ananias and Sapphira, right? Um, these people, who, they come and they say, listen, we, we, we sold a field, and here's the, pro, the proceeds, 100% of the proceeds for that field. Except it wasn't 100% of the proceeds. It was only part of it. And so what happens? God kills them. Like right there in the middle, like everybody is gathered around. They're standing there. An- Ananias is like, "Hey, here's here's my here's the money from my field," and God's like, "Boom!" Turns into a pile of salt on the floor. Now, friends, I don't know what would happen in the room this morning if that went down. But chances are, some of us are going to jail, um, and no one else is coming back. Uh, that's crazy stuff. But the kingdom advances. The church grows. And in a healthy, reverent fear of the Lord, people begin to release their grasp on the things of this world. And they say, man, we are all in for Jesus. I want nothing to do with the things of this world. I want everything to do with Christ. And the church grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. In chapter 6, um, there's, there's more problems internally. It becomes this disorganized mess because here you have these, these men, and like their, their job, their, their duty, all they know how to do is just preach the kingdom. It's what they've been called to do. They just preach the kingdom of, of God. And, 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 and this, the needs of the saints are not being met. The widows are not being cared for because all they know how to do is preach the kingdom of God, Right? It's like, it's like asking me to, to do them day in and day out operations of the church. Trust me, you don't want me doing that stuff, right? Um, I, I, can, I can preach all day long, but when it comes to the, to the small details and managing finances and all those things, please don't, don't ask me to do that. You know, you know better. And so what do they do? There's this disorganization, this craziness, this mess. They pray, and the Spirit raises up in their midst deacons who care for the needs of the saints, who meet the needs of the widows, and the kingdom advances. In chapter 7, you have a a famous story um, of a guy named Stephen. And Stephen um, preaches a sermon in chapter 7, and maybe the most powerful sermon ever preached. It's this powerful, powerful sermon. He's preaching to the Jewish leaders of that day. And basically, at the end of the sermon, he says, listen, Jesus was fully God, and you killed him. You need to repent. And come to him and beg for forgiveness and mercy so that he might extend that to you and do great things in your life and through you and advance his kingdom. And you would think they'd be like, man, we got to do that. But they don't. They kill him. They stone him to death. And in the crowd that day, there's a man named Saul And he watches this go down. He watches them stone Stephen to death in that place. And Saul is emboldened by this, goes on a rampage, killing Jews in Jerusalem, um, just wiping them out, kicking in doors, bringing them out of their homes and killing them in the streets. You think this is it? It's over. It's over. Nobody's going to be following Jesus after this. Instead, what do they do? They flee. They flee Jerusalem into all parts of Judea and Samaria. And Samaritans become followers of Jesus. And the people in the rural cities and towns of Jerusalem become followers of Jesus. And the kingdom advances. You will be my witnesses in all of Judea and Samaria. The kingdom advances. And then in chapter 9, in chapter 9, um, This guy, Saul, who's killing these Christians, he's hunting hunting them down, he's on the way to Damascus and Jesus, in the fullness of his glory, shows up to Saul, Saul lays eyes on the resurrected Christ, Christ says, why are you killing my people? And he falls on the ground, he goes blind for three days. He gives his life to Christ. He says, I will live for nothing more. I will live for nothing less than to give the rest of my days and the rest of my breath to Christ. And you would think that all of his friends who are also killing Christians, all of these Jewish leaders and officials, they'd say, oh, my gosh, maybe this is real. Maybe this is, maybe this is genuine. And maybe, maybe Christ did raise him in the grave. I mean, if Saul saw him and if Saul has given his life to him, maybe it's real. But they don't. They begin to persecute him. And they begin to chase him out of town. And Saul begins his missionary journey, taking the gospel of Jesus to the far reaches of the Roman Empire, to the end of the earth, the end of the known world. And the story is a 30-year history of the kingdom advancing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus advancing his church. In the first chapter, I read it before, I'll read it again. Jesus, in verse 3, Jesus is speaking about he says this, verse 3. And he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days, and speaking about what? Come on, guys. Speaking about what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Flip over to the very last chapter, Acts 28. Acts 28. In Acts 28, the very last chapter of the book, Paul has been traveling around, going to these, these towns, um, these cities, these villages within the Roman Empire. And in the very last chapter, Paul arrives on the doorstep of Rome itself. Now this is hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around what Rome is because there is no Rome today. Rome is the center of the known world. They have conquered all things. Um, It it is the most advanced, most marvelous city in the world. There's nothing like it. It is the, the hub, the epicenter of the empire. Paul says, I'm going in. I'm going in. In the very last two verses of the book, verse 30, he lived there. For two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him proclaiming what? The kingdom of God and teaching about Je- the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. For 30 years, the people of Jesus faced opposition after opposition after opposition, and Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, pushes through and advances the kingdom. And the church spreads a kingdom that is meant to be this beautiful restoration of all things, this kingdom. And in the mode, the primary mode and the means in which he chooses to do this is through individual lives, The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in our individual lives as he did that day in Pentecost, as he does right now in this room, in your life and in mine. And he builds this thing called the church. The primary mode, the primary means of which he's chosen to advance his kingdom is through what he calls the church, the bride of Christ. This community of persons, this gathering, this ecclesia. The Greek word just means gathering. Gathering this gathering of saints in Christ is meant to be a representation of His kingdom. This kingdom that is spreading to the ends of the earth, a kingdom that knows no knows no race, that knows no preference, that knows no. no, it no, knows no selfish gain. It knows no bickering about, I believe, this political thing or that political thing. No, we have everything we need in Christ, and we are only about Him, and we give all to Him. There is, there is no selfishness within this kingdom. And I believe with all of my heart that the people who understand that, the people who live for that, the people who give their lives to that, will one day enjoy the full glory of the reigning king when he returns for his kingdom. They will be the ones who advance. They will be the ones welcomed in and ushered in. They will be the completed, finished kingdom of Christ in which he rules and reigns over. And those, those who say, I'm a part of the church, but our lives are marked by bitterness and bickering and race and preference and prejudice. We know nothing of the kingdom of God. We know nothing of Christ. He is not our all. These people, the people that we will follow, the stories that we will see in the book of Acts, counted the cost. They said Jesus first at all costs, and they move forward in boldness and power as Christ moves in individual lives. He advances his kingdom And he advances his church. And friends, he's doing the same thing right now, here today. In our lives, right now, here today, Christ is doing the exact same thing that he did throughout the entire book of Acts. Christ did not just save you from something, he has saved you to something. He did not just save you from um, an eternal suffering. He has saved you so that you might also be one that advances the kingdom. So the Spirit of Christ might, do bold, might fill you with boldness and power that you might be a kingdom advancer in your office, in your neighborhood, in your family. The Spirit of Christ is at work today in this room. He did not just save us. He did not just restore a relationship with with, with us. He restored a relationship with us so that we might be relationship stores, that we might lead others into flourishing relationships with Jesus. He, He did not just invite us into the kingdom. He invited us into the kingdom so that we might help others see clearly the beauty of the kingdom of God. The mission of God is very much alive here today in this place. And the kingdom is advancing. It's advancing when we look to our neighbors in the south salt lake county i can say with certainty that churches are being planted at a faster rate in salt lake county than they ever have been in the history of the world maybe you just got to wrap your mind around that for a second churches are being planted in salt lake county at a rate faster than they ever have been in the history of the world When we look to the north to our friends in Weber County, churches are being planted at a faster rate than they ever have been in the history of the world. In Weber County, there's more churches being planted today than there ever have been ever in the history of the world. This is in our own backyard. These are our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, in their communities. The kingdom is advancing here in Davis County this little map up here as is Davis County we got a lot of work to do friends kingdom advancement's a little bit slower here but what I know and what, what I believe is in every, everywhere in the world that you look you say man where in the world has the, has the kingdom of God faced the most opposition in the past decade it's facing it's experiencing the most advancement in this one Places like China and India and Korea, the church is exploding and growing in places where it, it was being a, a pushed back against and oppressed for so long. It is now advancing. And I believe that in places um, like Pakistan and Yemen and Saudi Arabia, so the, while it's, while it might be facing great opposition today, it will be advancing greatly tomorrow. And I believe that we are on the brink of an amazing advancement within the kingdom of God right here in Davis County right now. And you get to be a part of that. You get to share in that. And my hope is, my hope is that as we walk through the book of Acts this summer and as we, as we hear these stories and we see the work of the Spirit in these people's lives, in the life of the early church, that we would be a people who are hungry for that same power and that same boldness and that same advancement in the kingdom. And that we would draw back. And we would say, Spirit, give us boldness. Give us power. And that we would push forth. And that we would see neighbors and coworkers and family members become followers of Jesus. And that we would be a church, that Flourishing Grace would be a church that plants churches. That plants churches. That plants churches. Throughout South Davis County. All of Utah. To the end of the earth. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning we come before you. Praying and hoping for great things, for big things. Right here in our midst, in this room this morning, I pray that your spirit, your spirit would rise up and create boldness and courage within our people. That we'd see a supernatural work. Supernatural work in our our offices, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. That we would see a kingdom advancing work. We'd see the church grow and become stronger and strengthened. We'd see people give their lives and we'd see flourishing relationships with Jesus begin. We'd see churches planted right here in our own backyard that we, would, that we would be able to create a network of churches in Davis County. Little flourishing graces all over the place. Just loving Jesus, proclaiming the kingdom Proclaiming the good news. That we be passionate about planning churches all over the world, with our partnerships in India. That we continue to advance the kingdom there. Would you give us the boldness? Would you give us the power? Would you give us the courage to do those things? It is not us, it is you in us and through us. I believe that's a plan that is the hope of glory. Would we see it now in our time and in our age? In this hour would we see those things come to pass? Praise things in your name, in the name of Jesus.